Welcome back to another episode of Addicted to MRR. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Jonathan Kronstedt from Kajabi.com. How's it going, Jonathan? Oh, Travis, it's going great. And do me a favor, man. Please call me J-Cron. I'm sure everybody that you introduced <laughs> me as Jonathan Kronstedt are going to be like, I don't get it. Who's that guy? So uh, J-Cron is what the industry knows me as. It's a real, real involved nickname, first initial and half my last name, but really glad to be on the show. And uh, I would share your addiction, man. Recurring revenue is the way to go. Yeah, for those of us who are, you know, in the subscription business or want to be in the subscription business, we picked the name without MRR, you know, some people are going to turn their head like a confused dog and others are going to go, this is the show for me. So that was kind of the thought process behind that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've always heard uh, from good old Dan Kennedy that great marketing is always polarizing. So it's going to be super attractive to the people that want it and it's going to repel or uh, just disinterest the people that don't. So I think you're on the right path. For sure. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about Kajabi and what hole you guys fill in the marketplace? Absolutely. So Kajabi is a platform as a service that really allows author, expert, speaker, coach, consultant, trainer, anybody that's engaged in this knowledge commerce world to market, sell, and deliver digital education. We like to liken it to really being the Shopify for the digital entrepreneur. So if you're providing any type of premium digital content, coaching, experience, course, anything along those lines, Kajabi is going to help you market, sell, and deliver that, maximize your profits, and really take away a lot of the tech headaches. Nice. Yeah. I mean, the product has definitely evolved over the years. How long have you guys been around? So Kajabi is going to be celebrating it, its ninth anniversary this year, which is crazy. You know, when Kenny had, uh, you know, early, early on, Kajabi was really built to fill a need in the marketplace. You know, Kenny being a developer, the world was such that when he came up with an idea for a kid's sprinkler toy that his neighbors were really interested in after he built one, he thought, oh, I'll sell this sprinkler toy and then realized physical fulfillment was really a pain in the butt. So I'll just sell a course and a list of the items to pick up at Home Depot. But even as a developer, the ability to connect video hosting and membership management, payment processing, and all of those elements together was fairly complex. And so by scratching his own itch, the idea of Kajabi was really born. And so nine years later, Kajabi's been through a couple of iterations. Our initial launch of Kajabi, which now is lovely named Kajabi Classic, and current Kajabi, uh, which was launched as New Kajabi approximately three and a half years ago. New Kajabi is now just Kajabi, our flagship platform, Kajabi now Kajabi Classic is uh, in sort of its sunset phase. And we've really worked towards building in a lot more of the marketing automation and other elements that we felt were necessary for success. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's always amazing. It sounds like a great way to get rid of technical debt for those who uh, aren't in the technology world over time. You know, and- it's it's funny <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned tech debt and, and sort of those legacy items because when Kajabi was initially born, it was really built out of the idea of being the what today is the the course or membership site idea. And what Kajabi really found over that journey, I've been president of Kajabi now for coming up on three years. So I've been part of roughly 33% of their journey. It's really been something that the idea of becoming all of the tool sets that are necessary for an entrepreneur was always part of the vision, but they definitely were at that, I guess I would call it Sophie's choice moment where it's like, okay, we have the platform that everybody knows and loves, but it was built in a way that's not going to allow us to do what we want to be able to provide in the future. So do we either A, make that burn the boats scary decision to move into an entirely new green field that gives us unlimited flexibility and scalability while risking moving away from what is familiar and currently driving growth? And we were really, really fortunate that in that inflection point, we were not only able to continue serving our entire classic base of subscribers, but we were able to begin moving in the direction of new Kajabi, now just Kajabi, with a group that we called our founders. And so these were individuals that really said early on, we love where you're going. We love the vision. We want to be a part of it. And they were able to lock in pricing that today it would be roughly 10 times the cost of their subscriptions to be able to have that same level of feature sets. So it was really cool to be able to bring them into the launch of this new platform, but be able to launch it in a way that didn't require going out and raising capital or a bunch of debt to pivot on the platform. It was just a, a very serendipitous way of reinventing the platform and getting to add a whole lot of capabilities all at the same time. Yeah, it's definitely the way to do it. Uh, obviously, when I was talking about technical debt, just for those who aren't familiar with the term, you know, when, you, when you've built a lot of systems and processes on a certain platform moving forward, sometimes all of that work can become a hindrance, you know, because things change, PHP evolves, all your different frameworks can evolve. And you might find yourself, once you've been around for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, some of that legacy work is actually hamstringing you moving forward. So it's great that you guys were able to take your audience and leverage it into effectively what sounds like a whole new platform. 
Absolutely. It was really something, Travis, that I think a lot of your audience will be able to relate to, you know, that situation where good becomes the enemy of great. And it's very, very challenging to, I guess, have the the gravitas and the willingness to say, you know what, we know that there's something better out there. And even though we have something good, we're willing to step into that unknown. And, and it was a big, big decision, but certainly one that looking back on it and looking uh, at the capabilities we have now, looking at just coming off of, you know, I'm not sure if you're aware, but about a week ago, we did our first user conference, you know, had 900 people here in Irvine, just getting to geek out on Kajabi. It was without question, the right decision. And certainly, a a pretty exciting step into the direction of what we believe the industry is becoming. No question. As someone who's run a couple of SaaS companies myself, I've had to make that decision more than once about clean slate or not, because it's the, it was the right thing for the business moving forward. It was the right thing for the customers in terms of solution. It doesn't mean it was not excruciating <laughs> for that time and, and, and really risky, you know, internalizing and stressing about what might happen if this doesn't go right. Uh, but I think if you and look we can, at- We can testify to that. It was, uh, it was a painstaking decision. <laughs> well, let's kind of look at the, the flip side, though. I mean, Kajabi as a business, what's kind of the rough ballpark of your MRR today? So today we're actually north of 2 million MRR, which is really a number that, you know, when we were looking at the transition and we were looking at where we were as a company was was unfathomable at the time. But what's been more and more exciting about it is it's really almost that adapting process that I'm sure you're familiar with of almost the new normal. You know, it's like, wow, what would we do if we got here? But then you get there and you're like, oh my gosh, how far we have left to go, how many more areas of the market we can impact. So I think with each set point, we really gain a greater vantage point of just the impact we can have in the industry as a whole. For sure. There's a saying I love. It's it's the more that you know, the more you realize you don't know. <laughs> yeah. I You know, it's funny. The the quote that I have uh, from my, my dear high school humanities professor was, uh, education is the process of moving from cocksure ignorance to thoughtful uncertainty. <laughs> love it. So to give the audience kind of a frame of reference, though, I mean, obviously 2 million, you know, MRR or north of 2 million MRR, that is, uh, is fantastic. And it's obviously paid off. It's been about three years now. Where were you guys at when you made that decision to effectively burn the ships? At that point, I'm going to guess we were right in the realm of 300-ish. So 300K? Maybe slightly more, yeah. Wow, okay. So that's a pretty dramatic difference on your business. Obviously, it's paid off in spades that you took that chance. Well, it's, there's no doubt about it. It was really a reflection of the vision of uh, the way Kenny describes it is it's, we wanted to be the whole sandwich, you know, that, that at a time it felt like, okay, we are an element of the sandwich, you know, maybe we're the meat or we're the cheese or we're the bread or whatever part of the sandwich Kajabi in its original interpretation was. And then looking at what we could become, our goal has always been twofold to be able to not only provide the superpowers and capabilities that most people were connecting other platforms to achieve, being able to do so with no integration challenges and at a better price point from a share of wallet perspective, that was a big part of it. But also really recognizing that from our foundational vision, we believe that nothing holds individuals back more than technology challenges. That if you were to talk to every entrepreneur that's been in the online space, it very much goes through this iteration of believing that technology is everything. And then soon enough, getting frustrated enough that you ship something, even though it's not perfect, it might not be on the perfect platform, it might not have all of the pieces. But all of a sudden, you have some results, and you begin to realize that what really matters is the transformation that you provide the people that you're interacting with. And so our vision continues to be how much more of the technology element can we take on, move into the background so that the only area of focus is your message. And that's really where we continue to go. It's why that burn the boats moment happened when it was like, okay, this is good, but we know we can do more. We know we can provide more value and we know we can do it with less technology burden on everybody using it at a better price point. And we continue to apply that lens to every area of, you know, this industry as new technology and opportunities come up. Sure. But it's probably also worth you know noting and realizing that, you know, while the way you're at now and the direction you're headed today may be the, the quote, real vision, someone who's building, you know, one of our products is a marketing automation tool. And just understanding that, how expensive and painful that process is, you know, that may not have been feasible to do everything like you're doing now from the get-go, right? Building that core, you know, Kajabi classic business gave you the cash flow and the customer base to then leverage into what you guys are today. Would you say that's fair? 
Oh, you're a hundred percent right. That I, I think if, you know, if any entrepreneur who's built something of, of significant size and scope, they may have had a, a vision for what it would be someday, but ultimately it starts with what are you going to do first? And what are you going to do first that impart, impacts the market powerfully enough that you get permission and you get profit to be able to do what second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth along those lines? So it's certainly one of those things I agree completely. Had we looked at it and said, we're going to do all this stuff at the outset, might have been a total mess. Yeah, it might have killed the company. I mean, sometimes being so ambitious can be problematic. You know, I guess sort of a pseudo competitor to both of us. You look at like Infusionsoft as an example, who has you know a huge portion of the marketplace, which... You can you know argue about whether that's eroding or not, but you look at how much money they've raised, and from what I understand, that they've never turned a profit. I don't know if that's changed recently or not, but it, it gives you an idea of the scope of just how expensive and potentially crippling long term it can be if you try to do too many things at once. Yeah, I, I think they're a great uh, cautionary tale, and and again, I don't have any insight into their numbers or whether it's working for them. But I do think there is just so much. I, I don't know if the whole rebrand to to keep was a wise move. I don't know if the way that they're building is is the way that I would recommend building. I mean, we've been bootstrapped and profitable since day one. So for us, there's always the element of we're building what we believe is going to drive enough impact that people will pay us for it. We've never had the luxury of buckets of money that we could lean into and hope for the best. And I do think that Infusionsoft is, uh, it's going to be very, very interesting to see where they end up in the market, who ends up either acquiring them or they go public or, you know, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you can't raise money forever. So at some juncture, somebody's either got to validate the model by buying you, the market's got to validate it by buying your shares, or you got to figure out another path. Yeah, unless your name is Uber, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, they've just been able to stretch that longer than anybody ever has and We'll see. I mean, it was interesting because I would have thought five years ago, I would have been like, man, Uber is it. They own it. Lyft doesn't have a prayer. But it continues to look like Lyft is, uh, you know, potentially the slow and steady wins the race. I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to watch. Well, that and the fact that uh, Uber CEO Travis Kalanick basically handed 20% market share boost to Lyft after all the scandals and issues they had. But that's a, that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> Yeah. And that, I got to tell you, that would actually be a really fun podcast if you're looking for a totally unsolicited idea to to talk about. But it's sort of the, when those skill sets serve you and when those skill sets that served you then become your downfall. And if you look at someone like him, Uber would never have gotten to where it was if he did not have that completely brash, completely ill-advised counter to everything establishment style where Miami says, we're not going to put Ubers in our city. And he's like, well, that's fine. I'm just going to drop a whole bunch of them in there free and pick up the charge until your people revolt and tell you they need Uber. <laughs> like that, that element to his personality of, of, for lack of a better way of putting it, kind of a backyard brawler sort of approach without that willingness to step into the ring and, and go toe to toe with establishment, they would have never gotten the market share that they have. But yet, as they started to move into different seasons where it was like, all right, you know, we're cool with you. Let's work together. That same brashness that powered him to a certain level eventually, you know, cannibalized his position with it. So it, it would be interesting to see would Uber be Uber without someone like that driving it, but also did he maybe stay just slightly too long given what his propensities would yeah, it'd be a really interesting podcast. Yeah, yeah. Effectively he kind of ran over the hill, took all the arrows in the back, and then Lyft came in and started cleaning up the market share after there'd been a, a market established. So it's uh yeah, it's 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 very interesting indeed. Yeah. So let's well, talk if you if you ever end up doing <laughs> that episode, let me know. I want to hear it. All right. I'll definitely <laughs> let you know. So let's talk a little bit more about some of them, just the mechanics of Kajabi. Yeah, I looked on your site. It looks like you have uh, effectively three tiers and you also have an enterprise tier. Is, is a lot of your platform essentially self-service? So the goal that we always have, both from a developmental philosophy and how we really approach the market, is we want everything we do to be easy enough that it never requires a technology team. We don't ever want an area of the application that requires someone who quote unquote understands software to be necessary to make it work. So that's always the place that we are going to come from. Our goal is to make everything accessible at a self-service level. 
now if you look at some of our expert level plans and things that we're rolling out, it's less about giving more access that requires more technology knowledge. It's actually a greater level of, of support and involvement from our team. But yes, by nature, our goal is to make everything available on a self-service basis that no matter what your level of technical prowess, you can do it. So where does the enterprise portion of your business uh, come into play then? Because I noticed you did have, you know, sort of the typical self-service with the option of, hey, if you, if you really want to give us, you know, dump truck loads of money, <laughs> hit, hit the enterprise button uh, and contact us and let's see what we can yeah, and, do. And what's actually ironic is it, I, I wish it was dump truck amounts. It's actually a, a fairly modest increase comparative to our top level plan, but it's more for us it's not something that is a huge area of focus for us right now. It's more of an experiment of are there ways that we can help people achieve results faster, achieve results in a larger format by having them have an increased level of support strategy and involvement from us. So there are a lot of people out there that have huge followings that are doing big things in the marketplace that maybe would not consider themselves marketing technologists. And so this is really an area for us where if we can provide an advanced level of support and do so at a price point that is far less than going to an agency or, you know, hiring a full-time digital team, that's really what we're beginning to experiment with. So it's really designed for people that are like, I know what I'm doing. I've already got a business. I just need a little bit more help making sure the platform does what I want it to do. Can you give me like an avatar kind of example of who would who would sort of fit your self-service model then and who might fit your enterprise? Yeah, definitely. So I would say enterprise would be someone who already has a business that is probably doing half a million or more in top line revenue that is looking for a little bit of assistance in their business but not necessarily wanting to do it all themselves. So this would be somebody who might be in that that middle of their business where it's like, I've got someone who's helping me, they're doing it part-time, or I am considering hiring somebody to help with the technology, but I'm going to wait until I get to a million dollars a year to do that. This is more of that middle plan where we're able to provide support and help you grow your business to that level rather than you know, you going out and having your own technology team or you feeling like you're forced to do it all on your own when that might not necessarily be at that stage where you want to spend the time or the resources. Makes total sense to me. So when I'm also looking at this and, you know, looking at from Kajabi Classic around $300,000 a month to new Kajabi being north of $2 million a month, how have you noticed your churn affect your business then versus now? Sure. So churn for us is something that we are really working diligently on at every turn. I mean, we're fortunate that for a lot of businesses, our churn is is better than most. But really, churn is a number that we feel is is evidenced by the fact that the industry as a whole does not do a great job of supporting a user base that oftentimes is arriving at their technology with goals but not necessarily with a technology plan wrapped around those goals. So for us, the churn has improved significantly since being able to offer a lot more elements of tools that people were going elsewhere for and trying to connect together. So every time we have the ability to reduce the techno technological complexity, simplify it and offer more functionality that's integrated out of the box, we see those churn numbers go down. As we continue to advance our support resources, um, you know, we were one of the earliest companies to launch 24-7 support via email as well as live chat, our particular niche in the industry. Anytime we're able to offer more in-depth support solutions, we see that number drop again. But it continues to be something for us where we are tirelessly working on our self-service resources as well as our human-based resources to be able to make sure we're answering questions proactively, that we're supporting in a way that is available readily and continuing to prove the experience. And certainly our product department is one that really does a lot of uh, research on the user side of things so that we continue to develop in a way that is hopefully self-evident as far as using the product, having it be a great experience, and hopefully communicating at the outset what it does and how it does it. So it sounds like a lot of your efforts behind reducing churn really 
boil down to support resources and product development as far as increasing that level of, inter- of integration in the stack and one solution? For us, it's going to be every aspect that drives the success of a Kajabi user. So however that user is describing success, whether it be I want to launch a website that actually captures emails and gives me the ability to drive business from it, whether it's I want to build complex pipelines and we would call sales funnels, whatever their goal is, the only metric that we really measure is the ability to have a customer succeed. So for us, churn is the indication that that customer was not able to achieve the success they were looking for. So we really approach it much more holistically than Um, I guess I would say we're looking for those leading indicators rather than the lagging indicators of what is the goal that they have, how are we helping them reach it, and then building to suit in every category, not limiting it to just a knowledge base or not limiting it to just a support experience, but really looking at it from the product side of having something that is self-evident in its capabilities, adding to that proactive and predictive support but also having the, the reactive elements of, hey, I tried something, it didn't work the way I wanted to, can you help? Yeah, I mean, customer outcomes are what it's all about, right? The the CEO of Black & Decker famously said years ago, you know, we don't sell drills, we sell holes. <laughs> so Exactly. Anytime, yeah, and that, that's, that's a great way to describe it. Yeah, anytime you can focus on, you know, really understanding that it, it's like you're not selling a feature, you're selling a benefit, you're selling holes, you're not selling the drill, you're selling the outcome, you're not selling the mechanism, really, at the end of the day. So uh, that that makes a lot of sense when you focus on that. Do you mind if we kind of walk through your sales process a little bit here? We touched on price points, uh, but I noticed that you guys do a 14-day trial. Is that credit card required? No credit card required? And have you have you played around with different lengths of trials? So we've actually done quite a few different things in that area, and we do offer a 14-day trial, credit card required. We do require a credit card. We have actually tested at different seasons. Um no credit card required. And what we really found was that the quality of the trial, the quality of the user dropped tremendously. That it really was more one of those things of just people that, you know, enjoyed getting a trial and playing with software. So for us, we find that we really want to not have our support resources and all of those things get bogged down with individuals that are are not necessarily as committed to trialing our software as we are committed to their success. So I think for us, the credit card trial element really ensures that both of us are serious about what we're trying to do. Um, And it's certainly something as well that we're very, very flexible that, you know, if people, hey, I I missed my trial cancellation or whatever, we never want any dollar from anybody that is not more than thrilled to give it to us and feels that they have received more than multiples of value in return. So for us, it's a, a soft trial limit, I guess is what I would say, and a soft rebuild. Now, what we've also done is we have a couple of different campaigns that are going to double that trial length to 28 days. It's called our 28-day challenge. And that's really something that we've built with the goal of being able to take somebody from a complete standing start and help them launch their product, get sales, and be in profit before their 28th day rebuild ever takes place. So that's something that if someone's willing to commit to that curriculum, it's actually a a coaching style program delivered via email. We will double their trial in order to give them more time to get all of that work done, but doubling that trial in hopes that they're able to get their product out to the marketplace and benefit from it that much faster. I love it. We do something similar that we're working on getting implemented called the Marketing Automation Bootcamp. And they basically, they in our scenario, though, they pay a little bit up front for the training, but instead of a 14-day trial, actually gives them 60 days. So they're buying the, the training, getting everything set up, and then it goes into a rebuild at the end of 60 days. So if they go through the training and they can't get, you know, return on their, their email marketing, no no harm, no foul. Feel free to, you know, cancel, refund, whatever. Um, but if they do, then they'll be perfectly happy by the time they get a rebuild and the theory anyway is that they'll never want to leave. So I, I definitely agree yeah, definitely. with that strategy. Well, and it's really interesting. And I know you guys experience this all the time. Like it's so funny when you're having conversations with customers and you look at how many customers are more than willing to be specific about their goals, what their hopes and dreams are. But yet when you look at the amount of work that guys like you or I and, and here at Kajabi that we collectively as a team put in to really try and gamify and motivate and help people be interested in achieving the outcomes that they have already told us they have. And it's so interesting to me, the psychology behind someone who says, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to be able to do. But yet 
30 days, 60 days, it still isn't enough time. And, you know, so life gets in the way, lots of things get in the way, but really trying to figure out the ways to motivate people to do what they've already shared with you is most important to them and want to do. It's certainly more art than science in in our experience. Yeah. I mean, from our standpoint, the way we look at it is it's always easier for the customer to just do nothing. (laughs) No matter what they've said they want to accomplish, no matter how better off they'll be if they can't accomplish it, it's always easier in the short term for them to do nothing. And so that's what you're battling up against. It's like, how do you help them achieve the things that you know you can do? You know that the outcome will help them. They've said that they wanted that outcome. Now, how do you put enough carrots in place to get them to actually cross the finish line? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a continual moving target, you know, one that we're, we're glad to undertake and we love finding new and exciting ways to do it, but it is, uh, it, it is a continual journey. So have you guys played with different trial lengths though, outside of the 28 day challenge? Is there anything else that you guys have try beyond a 14-day trial? No, we've only done 14 and 28. Okay. And when someone signs up for the 14-day trial, do you offer any upsells in the beginning to try to, you know, get them on a different plan or say, hey, you know, if you lock in this rate or an annual plan or any kind of pitch at all when they do the initial trial? It's been interesting. We've tried quite a few different things. Um, I think for us, what we've always found about the annual plan is we really do try and encourage that, not because it's something that is incredibly important to us having the security that they'll be here for a year, but we've just found a much higher correlation between people that are committing to that journey for an extended period and success in their business. Because it seems that when somebody says, okay, I know what I'm going to be doing and I want to be doing it for the next year, the likelihood of success just goes up significantly versus the, I'm going to try it this month and see what happens. So we really do try benevolently to motivate people, provide, you know, bonuses, pricing opportunities, everything that we can to get them into an environment that we believe is going to help them become that much more successful. And we do see a higher correlation with success with annual accounts. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, right? If you think about it, you're asking the customer to make one slightly harder decision once as opposed to remaking that decision every 12 times a year. So it, it makes Correct. sense. And, that- and it's really, I mean, if you look at the correlation between success and, and the users that choose different account levels, you made a very good point that on a month to month account, that individual every single month is making that decision again. And God forbid, they may have run into some challenges or hurdles. And all of a sudden, what they're really doing is they're setting themselves up once a month to go technology shopping that, you know, it's like, all right, cool. Every single month, I'm going to look for something that might solve my needs differently. When in reality, the way that you're going to achieve success in business is momentum. And so we have often felt that being able to lock that decision in not only is better for us as a company, but also it's much better for the user who's basically committing to this is my path and I'm going to stay focused on it. I'm right there with you, man. Makes total sense. And, you know, it varies business by business, right? Because like we, one of our SaaSes is a contest platform. And we found with that same thing, it, it was really important to go annual to the point that we actually just dropped monthly plans. People could either pay for an individual contest or they could buy an annual plan. And that was pretty much it. Whereas with our marketing automation, it's super sticky. And it's like, well, you know, let's make it more incremental, make it a little easier for people to get across that first initial start line. And so currently we don't, we don't even offer annual currently on uh, our, our marketing automation tool. So it very much, I think, varies for each business and category that you're in, what pricing model makes the most sense. But as a business owner out there, if you're listening to this, it's definitely something to consider, you know, what metrics are going to give us stability in our business so that we can commit to building certain features and what components of those are going to be more likely, as you said, to get the customer the outcome that they've said that they wanted and that we can actually assist them in accomplishing. Yeah, I think you're dead on there. And and really, it, it like you said, it's different in every business. And I would even take it one step further that I think in the amount of time that I've been in this industry, you know, three years here at Kajabi and, you know, a decade plus on on the marketing side, I think it really is coming down more and more to the fact that you should have a hypothesis to bring to market, but that you should recognize that the right answer is always going to be to test it. So it's really something that figuring out how to lower the cost of failure to a point that it makes testing easy, I think as a global perspective has been very, very helpful. For sure. Now, I know you've only been with the company three years, uh, but do you remember how the original, in this point, Kajabi Classic, 
got like their first wave of sales, got their first 10 customers, got those first beta users. Do you, have you heard the story about I, uh, that? I, I know it very, very well. It's funny. I actually, although I have been president of Kajabi for coming up on three years, I actually consulted for Kajabi for probably about six months, roughly eight months after the launch of the platform. And then, um, you know, have been friends with Kenny ever since. So it's been something that I've been around for a very, very long time in that regard. But what's interesting is if you go back to the early, early days of Kajabi, you know, Kenny had a lot of friends in the internet marketing space and they had sort of come up with this idea. And so they started reaching out via Twitter actually to just, you know, hey, we've got this idea, we got this platform, let us know if we can help with your next launch. So Kajabi ends up amassing this beta list of power users, really, that were running these product launches. And every product launch that went out had a, a small little button at the bottom that said powered by Kajabi. And so before you know it, three, four launches in, everyone's like, well, what is this Kajabi thing? And then uh, they actually did a product launch with Andy Jenkins at the time and ended up putting thousands of trial users in. And after the trial user crop came through, um, and by the way, they did not offer annual accounts then. It was only month to month. They had a, a core group of, of users and the company continued to grow from there. So really the way that it launched was not starting with early stage users, but actually starting with power users and then having those power users really help discern what should or shouldn't be on the platform and then moving those power users into kind of a position of a affiliate or ambassador for the brand and then bringing the brand out to the public. Yeah, it's a great launch strategy. I'm glad that it panned out so well. Sometimes, though, when you're when you're developing products and you go to those power users, if that's not necessarily your avatar, being the you know the upper 0.01 percent of the users, sometimes that can be kind of a black hole of product development, right? Or, or overcomplicating things. But it, it sounds like it really worked out in this case. So that's that's awesome. no doubt about it. It's it's really something that uh, you know, and especially in Kenny's case, being the the very technical and code oriented individual. Um, it was something that I think it took a lot of confidence to lean into that and say, you know, hey, let's go to the hardest proving ground for this and then let's build from there. So it was very much one of those things. If it can work here, it can work anywhere. And that was certainly a lot harder at the outset, but I do think it ended up paying dividends. So did it launch with the, the video boss launch? It actually powered the video boss launch. That's what I thought. Okay, I'm just making sure I have my timeline correct. I, I've, I guess that kind of shows my age for the marketing, uh, <laughs> marketing world a little bit. But. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm a card carrying member right there with you. My first product launch was Main Street Marketing Machines with Mike Koenigs. So, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I too go that far back. Nice. So as you guys have grown and, and obviously the marketplace has changed and matured, have there been any campaigns that have totally flopped that you guys thought were going to do well that? You just haven't been able to make work that everyone said, hey, you got to do this and it works and it but it didn't work for you guys. Yeah, we've uh, we've definitely failed a whole bunch along the way. No question about that. I would say the biggest failure that comes to mind was there was a moment early on in Kajabi where we had really anticipated, OK, we get so many people that are saying they want more help. They want more support. How can we put together something that really allows us to serve that audience? And so it was an offer that was at the time called Kajabi Black. And it was basically, it came with, you know, a really cool portfolio that was designed that gave you bespoke support options and just a whole lot of very involved elements that were designed to really ensure your business was successful. And it was something that I think we were way too early that it was an offer that everybody who had achieved that level of success in the marketplace already had the team members and pieces that they needed. So they didn't need the offer. And then the other individuals were probably too new to the market to have that defined of a need. So we had basically made an offer that the market didn't want. And there is, uh, you know, if you've ever experienced it, there is no possible marketing parlor tricks or copy that will save an offer that the market doesn't want. And so this was certainly something that I think we created a, a great offer that the market just didn't want. And uh, it was uh, really funny. We moved offices uh, November of this past year out of our most recent office. And as I was cleaning out my desk, I literally had one of the Kajabi Black uh, portfolios, you know, this embossed leather portfolio. And it just immediately took me back to, oh, wow, <laughs> what could have been? And, and you know, hey, maybe maybe we should relaunch that. You know, that was a neat <laughs> idea. Yeah, resurrected. So, uh, I will, I will actually quote uh, my, my good old buddy, Andy Jenkins, on this one. You know, Andy has always said and, and normally laughs when he says it, but that uh, success have, has a thousand fathers and failure is always an orphan. 
So it's really one of those things that whenever you look back on what's successful, there's, there's always a multitude of people that are, you know, oh, I was involved. I helped. I did this. I did that. And then, you know, when something doesn't go well, everyone's like, I don't know who did that. That was a terrible <laughs> idea. It is interesting because you, you do learn a lot from failures. And I think it's certainly something that what I've learned of all of the failures is that it rarely is a completely objective failure of, wow, I completely screwed this up. And it's normally much more of a, I timed the market wrong, or I chose the wrong market. It's rare that you have something that is just so woefully prepared that it does not work. It's more, did you offer it to the right people? And did you offer it at the right time? That's been my experience anyway. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is why people pivot um, on different companies, right? It doesn't mean that the technology is bad or whatever. Sometimes it's the positioning. Sometimes it's the pricing. As you said, sometimes it's just the timeline that you do things. So all of those come into play for sure. And sometimes you just have a solution in search of a problem. So, uh, you know, you do with do your best with what you got. Great way to describe it. So if you guys were doing it over again today, you know, obviously the market is wildly different in, you know, in this space, nine years at might as well be four lifetimes when it comes to marketing and software. If you guys were to start it over today, how would you go about it if you didn't already have a $300,000 uh, MRR kind of in your back pocket? If you were starting over from scratch, how would you go about it? I actually think we would pursue it very similarly, but just more simplified. So we would have probably cast the the big vision of where we wanted to go, but we would have selected fewer things to bring the MVP to market. So I think that would have been a big one of just really simplifying what we are going to build. But we would have continued to do what we have always done as a bootstrap company, which is really allow people to vote with their wallet. We've always found that the best way to get a true opinion of what matters, sell it and ask people to pay for it. That the the interview style, the focus groups, the browsing of, of what people are sharing are problems that can all be good from an indication of interest perspective, but you're never going to find out if that problem is actually a large enough problem to pay for until you offer someone the opportunity to buy a solution to it. So I think that that is a, a pretty big, significant shift in how we would bring it to market. And I would also say that it would be something I think that we would really work to clarify our opinion and position in the marketplace as soon as possible. So I think that the only sin in marketing is being boring. And so if you're approaching the market in hopes of just blending in and being another solution that's in the space, that's definitely something I wouldn't advise. And I think that Kajabi has very much developed a air quotes Kajabi way of doing things and Kajabi way of viewing the industry. And I think looking back on it, if we knew then what we know now, we probably would have codified and communicated that far earlier in the process. Yeah, I mean, people like to buy into a vision and a way of doing things. And, you know, that that was one fortunate thing when we went from contest domination and we launched Campaign Refinery. People knew about contest domination and how we approached the problem of viral marketing and how, you know, at the time you know, when contest domination originally launched, it was like, let's actually focus on performance and not all these other sort of parlor tricks. And that really stuck in people's mind at the time. And it, you know, had a ripple effect in the industry the same way that Kajabi's had a ripple effect in the industry for certainly the, you know, content management and that kind of stuff. So we had a lot of goodwill when we went in to build the next thing because people expected, as you know, you said, that way of approaching things. It, it definitely means something to plant your flag in the ground and not just say, you know, hey, we do that other thing too. It's, hey, we fill that need and help you get that outcome, but we do it in this very specific, unique way. Definitely. And, and I think it's something for us that we continue to just see an industry that in a lot of ways, I think, provides roadblocks to the success that individuals are seeking. You know, I, I can't count the amount of times I've run into somebody that says, oh, well, I can't use Kajabi because I want to split test this page in a multivariate fashion with 37 variables and a Taguchi methodology. And I'm like, well, I know what all those words mean, too, but how much have you sold online? Like, oh, well, I haven't sold anything yet. And I'm like, well, yeah, because you're trying to figure out 37 multivariates to go on a page. So for us, it's very much something where we do believe that the massive differentiating factor in this knowledge economy is, can you provide transformation? And if you truly have the ability to provide that, then just being willing to get out there, talk to your customers, ship something, that's really where the magic happens. 
And it's certainly something that I've done is better than perfect is, is one of my favorite phrases. But it's also really something that it's it's funny because Brendan Burchard was at our event this past week and was just talking about the fact that he runs into so many people that are like, oh, you know, I, I, uh, I haven't launched my course yet because I'm a perfectionist. And he's like, most people don't understand just how backwards that is because you can't actually perfect anything until you actually ship it that until it is in the hands of the users, you have no ability to perfect it. So most people are operating from this belief of, I don't want to send it out to users until it's perfect. But what most people don't understand is it will never be perfect until you send it out to users. So I think it's something for us that just that idea of why you do what you do is going to become increasingly important. As technology continues to just get better overall, on average, you know, the, the world is getting smaller in so many ways. There's so much more information online than there's ever been before. The only differentiating factor is why you do what you do and can you do what you say you will do. So being able to come out with that early and being able to state it in a way that really resonates with the marketplace, that's where the magic happens in our opinion. Yeah. And as far as thinking about people that say they want to perfect things, I mean, I'm somewhat of a perfectionist on things too, but I constantly, like almost on a daily basis, have to remind myself, if I'm not embarrassed by the version that goes out, I waited too long. (laughs) (laughs) I I like that. Yeah, no, there's there's no doubt about it. If you are not pressing that enter key to send it out into the world with the, ooh, I hope they don't notice X, Y, and Z, you definitely waited too long. Yeah. So I want to ask you one more question before I bridge into kind of the final section here. Um, because I think it's related and it might change my question a little bit. Um, how many employees do you guys currently have at Kajabi, number of staff? Uh, we're at about 100. So I'm curious about, you know, at, a, at 100 employees, how your answer on this may change. So what I always try to think about, and I think is greatly underserved in the entrepreneur and, and marketer and business owner sort of realm is really talking about mental health. Because you talk about people that are, you know, obsessive about trying to perfect things or the stress of, you know, hey, this launch might make or break my business. It might make or break my ability to pay my mortgage or whatever those stresses may be. And that can lead to stress, overwhelm, anxiety, depression, all these different mental health factors uh, as business owners. And some of that gets alleviated as you build up, you know, more MRR and you have more stability and you can reduce some of those stresses in, in your own business. But sometimes they're unavoidable, right? Early days, making big, hard decisions about, you know, burning the ships. It can manifest in different ways for different people. I personally have dealt with anxiety for over 10 years and I do a lot of things to try to, you know, change my lifestyle and change my habits and systemize in a way that reduces that, such as working out and whatnot. So what I want to know is, is stress, overwhelm, anxiety, depression, are these any of the things that you as a you know president of a company with 100 employees deal with on a regular basis? And if it is, what things do you incorporate into your life to try to reduce those levers? Yeah, only uh, only always. <laughs> I would say that I I do admire uh, number one your your willingness to just share some of the things that you have battled with because I think talking about that as individuals that for however much we're looked at by those in the industry as individuals that have it figured out there's something so freeing by being like now you know <laughs> believe me if you only saw what I'm like you you would not think that so I think it's great that you're not only sharing that but also talking about the ways that you've worked to build systems around to minimize that and and minimize the effects of it I think it sounds like you've got a bunch of healthy habits uh, as far as how you deal with it, whether it be, you know, meditation, lifestyle changes, diet changes, working out. Me, it's been interesting. I have had seasons where working out has been a huge part of it. I've had seasons where alcohol has just been an enjoyable outlet, a glass or two of wine, uh, you know, with dinner in the evening to unwind. So uh, I definitely enjoy a libation or two to to take some of the edge off in the evenings. But I really think for me, what has been foundationally important in managing that is, do I love what I do? Because that has been something that I think I get so much more anxious about things when I don't feel that I am fully vested in the outcome. That if for me, it's just a job or it's just a dinner or it's just a anything insert here that I have to do, I think for me, I then get nervous about those elements because I know that 100% of my faculties are not dedicated to that outcome. Whereas when I can wake up and say, I love what I'm doing, I love who I'm doing it with, and I love who I'm doing it for, it helps reduce my anxiety because I know that I'm going to leave it all on the field. 
And I think for me, I have really uh, enjoyed meditation. That's definitely been something that really helps me, I think, stave off a lot of those inner voices that are, are often more reactionary than they are helpful. It's one of the things that at Kajabi, we've always put a very big focus on the team and having the team really be at their best and trying to set up processes within the company to keep them at their best. But one of the things we have been able to do as we've grown as a company is provide a lot more resources. We've been able to provide an unlimited PTO policy. We've been able to provide you know meditation apps and audible subscriptions for everybody in the company. We have a, a super amazing uh, physical wellness program that actually reinforces versus people, no matter how they choose to exercise, you know, whether they're using their Fitbit to count steps or they're biking or they're going to a gym or yoga or any of the areas that they check in at for physical wellness, we actually reimburse and can provide contests and all kinds of stuff. So being able to really, I guess I would say, provide a wide selection of healthy ways to cope with anxiety and allowing people to self-select what works for them has been a huge win for us. And it's something that we're really, really excited to be able to offer. But yeah, for me personally, I would say I'm a little bit of a different breed just because I'm probably a self-professed workaholic. I don't have any real hobbies. Like I don't golf. I don't, you know, do anything that's sort of a, a hobby side of things. I love food. Um, I love the the culinary experiences. So that's a big outlet for me. Fortunate, I married a, a woman who's an amazing chef. She's just out of this world. So that's a, something we enjoy that's a big stress relief, you know, going home and uh, just having a whole bunch of delicious things. And then also, I would say for me, I really, I enjoy the aspects of work. If I'm not working, I'm probably reading a book about work. I'm looking at blog articles and everything I can read about how to be better at work. So in that regard, I'm very one dimensional, but I've always felt okay with that. It's not something that I think I feel like I'm, I'm missing out or, or need to change. And, and that's just me personally. I love being able to provide resources and opportunities for a lot more of a work-life balance element for our team. But I would say that if I'm just being very transparent about who I am, I really don't have a lot of work-life balance. I, I sort of have a lot more work-life integration than I do work-life balance. Yeah, maybe work-family balance as opposed to work-life balance, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's, it is something even just hearing you talk about, you know, how you've built systems to really uh, allow the best parts of your personality to shine through and drive results and, and supplement those areas that are more challenging to deal with. One of the things for me that right now is very top of mind is, is just learning how to be more present. That I, I think that in the age of technology with all of the channels that we're now reachable on, figuring out how to build systematic ways of whether it's scheduling or processes in your workday that you can be present in what you're doing and avoiding multitasking at all costs. That's definitely the one right now that I'm experimenting with a whole lot of different things. And uh, who knows, maybe next time we talk, I'll be able to tell you how I figured it out. You know, I, you actually nailed on it with the, the presence thing. I think that it's highly undervalued, the ability to be okay in the moment, right? It's so easy for us, especially as entrepreneurs to think about, yeah, I'm here and I'm doing this thing. And even if you're not quote unquote multitasking, thinking about your your to-do list, right? Like what is the thing I need for the event next week? What is the thing I need for the interviews that are, you know, my next 10 interviews? What are the things I need for this webinar that's happening? What do you know, and, and your mind can jump ahead. And and part of that makes us great entrepreneurs or business owners because we care about the details and we're we follow through and all those kind of things, but it can also take a toll. It's really encouraging to me personally to hear about all the different systems and policies you guys have in place with your employees, which is why I asked that employee number, because I figured that that would have some element to it. The two things I yeah. want to... It's interesting, though, that even if we go back to the earliest days and the smallest of teams, I think then it was more of a, a qualitative core value of, hey, we want you to be able to operate in this capacity. And as we've grown as a company and as we're able to provide more resources, it's now, hey, this is how we can support you in that regard. So the, the desire has always been there. Our ability to support it and resource it has grown over time. That's, that's amazing. I, I love hearing that. Any company that can make that part of their process and culture and ethos going forward, I think, is going to be beneficial for Everyone, really. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of one of those things that it's like in the early days when you have no money, it might just be like, yeah, we really want you to have clarity of mind. So, you know, you're welcome to just go sit outside and listen to the breeze for 20 minutes. And then as you grow and it's like, hey, we have this Headspace membership for you so you can learn how to meditate. Same 
belief, just different ability to resource and, and support it. Well, but still being baked into the culture, it means that they can go walk around the block for a minute and get some fresh air and clear their head and not be judged for it or, you know, chastised or whatever. So that's, that's pretty cool. The the two things I just want to point out about from this conversation and my experience, one is I've also been meditating for the last several months. And the best advice I ever got out of meditation was that most people aren't very good at meditation. <laughs> so when, when you're sitting there and you're trying to meditate and your mind wanders, I mean, even though every app tells you that that's okay, just come back to the breath or whatever they're using or the, the sound or whatever, your mind is going to wander. And that doesn't mean that you suck. That just means that that's how meditation works. And it's it's the practice of of clearing your head and focusing on one thing at a time, which sort of comes back to that presence thing as well. And then the second, Definitely. The second component is that by talking about this, I, I think it's important for people to know that when you have stress or overwhelm, anxiety, and even depression, you can feel a little crazy and like you're a little bit alone, especially as you mentioned with social media and everything else. It can, when everyone else is sort of curating the best parts of their lives, you think, wow, everyone else is doing great. Everyone else has their, you know, their stuff together. I'm the only one over here struggling. And in reality, that's just not true. I think we find that a lot of people in the space at various times go through this and that it's sort of a normal part of the process. Like, like I asked you, you only say, you know, only always, that's a pretty typical response. And I, as I find that we open up and we talk about this a little bit more, you know, it doesn't need to define you. It doesn't need to cripple you. And I think just knowing that it's a normal part of the process alone can reduce that overwhelm, can reduce that anxiety and understand that, hey, this is normal and that there's things you can do to improve your quality of life. So thank you so much for for sharing and making it an open topic. Yeah, my my absolute pleasure. And I mean, I, I would just say just to put an end cap on it for anybody that's listening, wondering if people experience that, everybody experiences it. The only difference is the people that are successful move beyond it and continue to make a habit of moving beyond it. But the feelings don't go away. I've been on giant stages. I mean, I think the biggest stage I've ever been on was 4,000 people that I was speaking to. And even when we were here at Kajabi with 900 of our closest friends who had been excited about us doing an event for years, we could not have asked for a more amazing and supportive audience. And even with how amazing and supportive they are, it didn't change the fact that when I was getting out on stage, same butterflies, same, you know, gosh, you know, can we, can we really do this? Can we really do can we really put on a great event? Can we really speak confidently and have people leave excited? And, you know, even after all of those stages and everything else, same exact fears, you know, it's just you, you've now moved through those fears enough that you're like, Oh, all right, it's going to work out. So you just begin to get more and more confidence that on the other side of them, there's cool stuff, but it doesn't change the fact that they're still there every single time. Yeah. You can recognize it, but you don't have to obsess about it or focus on it. You just say, Hey, this is what I'm feeling right now, and that's okay. <laughs> totally. Well, hey, I think that pretty much does it. Thank you so much for sharing about Kajabi. And the, I didn't actually understand that it was quite such a burning of the, of the ship, so to speak, a number of years ago. But I'm thrilled that you guys are doing so well now and that you've implemented a cool culture and have an awesome tool. Um, if someone wants to follow up with you and learn more about Kajabi or had a question for you specifically, what's the best way for them to reach out? You know, we are uh, disturbingly available on every channel imaginable. So you can find me on, on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram, although uh, I have no photos published at all, but you can reach out to me on Instagram, believe it or not. Um, you know, Facebook is probably the the easiest and most prevalent, but yeah, we are, we're out there available and anything we can do to help would love to do it. You know, certainly if, uh, if anybody, uh, anybody would like to give a shot at uh, Kajabi platform, plenty of ways to do that free trials available, but more importantly than anything, whatever it is that you are doing, please, please, please make sure that you are taking action and jumping in. The industry is only getting better and more exciting and, uh, you will be disappointed if you don't. Well, thanks again for coming on. It's really been a pleasure. Pleasure is all mine, Travis. Thanks for having me. Yep. Talk soon.